This past summer, widely respected conservative movement rabbi David Wolpe of Sinai Temple in Los Angeles published an op-ed in the LA Jewish Journal titled, Why I Keep Politics Off the Pulpit. His op-ed was immediately met with critical responses from many American rabbis. Among his critics was Rabbi Rick Jacobs, the president of our Union for Reform Judaism. You can love Torah and vote for Trump. You can love Torah and think Trump is a blot on the American system. What you may not do if you are intellectually honest is say that Torah points in only one political direction, writes Wolpe. Rabbi Jacobs responded with an op-ed titled, Why My Friend David Wolpe is Wrong. A politics-free pulpit is an empty pulpit, he writes. Although one can certainly love Torah and follow different political paths, one cannot claim to be a lover of Torah and not care about how our society treats those in need, the weak, the vulnerable, the stranger, the oppressed. The Judaism I live compels me to use those lessons to understand the most urgent challenges we face. And since the beginning of the Enlightenment, rabbis of all streams have felt compelled to use the evolving institution of the sermon to bear prophetic witness to pressing societal and communal challenges their congregants faced. And then, in a letter titled, A Response to My Critics, Wolpe defends his stance. Calling to task his detractors, he writes, I know Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel marched with Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Honestly, I do. But issues like slavery and civil rights are rare once in a generation, and invoking them for everything from social welfare policy to Dodd-Frank to the methods of vetting immigrants is both dishonest and a cheapening of a great moral legacy. One of the questions repeatedly asked around Emmanuel since the infamous 2016 election is, should rabbis speak about contemporary issues from this bima? Is this bima a place where the matters of the day ought to be engaged through a Jewish lens? Or should this dome be a retreat from a profane world? Is there a middle ground? If we do engage the political world around us, from an ethical perspective, what are the parameters? How do we, your rabbis, fulfill our obligation to teach an ethical tradition? Of course, these are hardly new questions. During the civil rights movement, as Rabbi Wolpe alluded to, there was a sharp divide among American rabbis. On the one hand, you had rabbis like our teacher and my friend, Rabbi Richard Levy, emeritus of the LA campus of HUC, who was among 16 rabbis arrested in 1964 in St. Augustine, Florida, for performing acts of civil disobedience. These rabbis were charged for praying in a racially integrated group and sitting at restaurant tables with African Americans. In the open letter they published after their arrest, titled, Why We Went, they wrote, 
We came because we could not stand silently by our brother's blood. We came because we knew that, second only to silence, the greatest danger to man is loss of faith in man's capacity to act. On the other hand, many rabbis, especially Southern rabbis, chose not to speak out publicly about civil rights. In 1957, Rabbi Eugene Blockschlager of Montgomery, Alabama wrote, I made no public pronouncements on the subject, either from my pulpit or in the columns of our daily press. And Rabbi Moses Landau of Cleveland, Mississippi explained, if you are going to take sides and agitate, you accomplish nothing except the hostility of the people. The Jewish community could not exist if they were in any way involved in the civil rights movement. And while it may seem obvious to us in 2017 that vocally supporting civil rights was the only ethical choice, it's important to understand the context of those Southern rabbis. The social position of Southern Jews just a decade after the Holocaust was hardly a position that felt secure. Some rabbis of the South felt that to speak out about civil rights was to put the survival of their communities at risk, not an irrational fear. I'm not saying they were right to remain silent, but I'm trying to shine light on the, on the complexity of the choices that rabbis face. Indeed, historians tell us that some of these Jewish communities who publicly remained silent about civil rights were behind the scenes significant and quiet supporters of their African-American neighbors, which is a different way to respond to the ethical demands of the moment. Perhaps we can have some understanding about why some of them resented the ways in which northern liberal Jews would come down to the south to protest, only to return to the safety of the liberal north. And the debate goes back further. To the early days of our movement in North America, Rabbi David Einhorn, one of the first American reform rabbis, had in general been opposed to addressing politics from the Bema, and he was apologetic for ever appearing to be involved in advocacy. This changed, however, when he gave a career-defining sermon in 1861 in Maryland, at the time a slave state, offering a Jewish argument against slavery rooted in the book of Exodus. The response from his congregation was decisive. A riot broke out in the pews, and he was forced to flee his congregation and home that very night. I know people in this room feel strongly about this question and feel strongly about it in very different ways. One thing I want to state clearly is that I think Rabbi Wolpe is right when he argues that the Torah votes neither Democratic nor Republican. Torah is an ancient text that did not imagine Jewish life in 21st century North America or anything like it. I also want to say clearly that I know sometimes, for some of you, all you want and need is to come to your synagogue and be able to take a deep breath, the kind of deep breath that is hard to come by in 2017 America. 
by the light of our Shabbat candles, with the gorgeous voices of our cantors, you want to connect to something higher and hopeful. And importantly, you want to know that we, your rabbis, are not separated from you by the political divides that make up so much of our society today. I want you to know that I also value this congregation in that way, and I take my responsibility as one of your rabbis of this politically diverse community seriously. And yet, we rabbis, and really all of us Jews, are beholden to Torah. That same ancient text that is neither democratic nor republican is irrefutably the central text of an ethical tradition. I don't think for a second that you have to be a certain political party to be a good Jew. At the same time, you cannot for a second claim that ethics are not central to Judaism. What I want you to understand about being a rabbi is that I feel like I would be letting you down and abdicating my responsibility to you if I didn't bring the voices of our ancestors to bear on the important questions of our time. Indeed, in Tractate Shabbat, in the Talmud, we find the teaching, anyone who is able to protest against the transgressions of the entire world and does not is punished for the transgressions of the entire world. Of course, this does not mean we should be reckless. Were I or we to speak out on each and every issue, not only would we be exhausted, but I know we would also lose your trust. There is the danger of the rabbinate being cheapened by becoming like a meaningless opinion column in a newspaper. And of course, part of our role is to bring the Jewish community together. And so how do I do my job? My job to be a voice of our tradition, our tradition which has an ethical framework. How do I stay in sacred relationship with you when we have strong differences about how to interpret and apply those ethics. I don't know how many of you know the story of Rabbi Leo Beck, but I'd like to tell you part of his story today. Rabbi Beck was the last elected leader of the German Jewish community before Nazis came to power. He was widely respected as a thought leader and scholar in his generation. As Hitler rose to power, Rabbi Beck was offered, on three different occasions, the opportunity to come to safety in the United States. He refused, choosing to remain with his community to whom he felt an obligation. Rabbi Beck eventually ended up in the concentration camp Theresienstadt. At 70 years old, he was assigned to work as a garbage hauler. Why? Because he was first offered a leadership role in the camp, which would have meant collaborating with the Nazis, so he refused. Because of his refusal, he was forced to drag a garbage wagon through mud and snow, picking up the trash of the camp. At this bleak moment in his life, however, 
he remained a teacher. He taught Torah, philosophy, politics, art. He taught in the darkness of night in the barracks and to the others on his work crew. Weak and tired and yet still teaching, he became known as the teacher of Theresienstadt. Why do I share this story with you today? What is the connection between the question of politics on the bima and Rabbi Beck? For Rabbi Beck to teach Torah in the midst of despair was in and of itself a bold and yes, political action. For him to refuse a leadership role in the camp was a way that he took a principled position. It was a kind of protest, even if he was not directly challenging the Nazis. He used the power and sanctity of his role to resist evil. He found a way against all odds to assert the ethical truths of Judaism by constructing a pulpit, and from that pulpit he preached a Torah of resistance and justice. And of course, our context is different from Rabbi Beck's, but that we in our time do not face a horror like the Holocaust Call the Chomer all the more so when the risk of being bold is so much less. We must use the power and sanctity of Judaism to be voices of resistance against injustice and evil. I, we, have to be able to live out our Judaism or its purpose is lost. And so the elephant in the room remains our current political situation. Immigrants and refugees, a harshly divided electorate, attacks on LGBT rights, the rise of white supremacy, healthcare policy that threatens to leave our most vulnerable sick or dead, an economy that seems to punish people for being poor. How do I live up to the example set forth by Rabbi Beck of being brave and living out our tradition without falling into the traps that Rabbi Wolpe, I think wisely, warns against. One final story. This past January, Rabbi Beth Singer and my husband Fran and I took our eighth graders to Los Angeles as we do each year. Our trip includes a stop at the Holocaust exhibit at the Museum of Tolerance. This, this year, just a few hours after leaving the museum, we drove back to LAX to fly to San Francisco. This was the same weekend as the nationwide protests against the refugee ban at airports. And so there we were, having just left a museum where we learned, among other things, about Jewish refugees from Europe being turned away at borders all over the world. To arrive at Los Angeles Airport with thousands of people standing in solidarity with refugees. Our eighth graders made the connection right away between the Jewish story and what they were seeing unfold outside our bus windows. And then they noticed that some of the protesters were Jews and visibly identified as such. This is Judaism. I said to them, 
as they watched this unfold around them, I knew that the Torah they learned in those 20 minutes in traffic at LAX was more than I could ever teach them on a Sunday school morning. In the end, I don't think it's a question of politics on the bima. It's a question of whether or not a rabbi should teach ethics, and if those ethics should ever be concretely applied to the world around us. I cannot imagine a Judaism without ethics, and I cannot imagine doing my job without applying those ethics to the world we live in. Yes, we must be careful and discerning, and yes, there is more than one way to interpret the tradition, but we must always teach Torah, and that sometimes includes raising a voice of protest. We teach Torah because we have been charged to carry the memory of our people into the future of the world, to allow the painfully learned lessons of our past to shore up the generations of the future that they, that we, might see a more loving and just world. No, this is not about Democrats or Republicans or presidents. This is about turning our sacred Torah scroll towards the refugee who sits in limbo at a border patrol office and saying, we see you and we are with you because we too were in Egypt. Bringing to voice our ethical tradition is about reading the story of the creation of the world and then weeping at the destruction of our planet because we remember how perfect it was and how beautiful it could once again be in a garden of Eden. This is about me looking into the face of my autistic cousin and insisting that I will stand with him when anyone would dehumanize and degrade those with disabilities because I agree with Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak when he taught in the Talmud that to humiliate someone publicly is to spill their blood. Teaching Torah on the Bima is when Maha El Ganaidai, a local leader in our Muslim community, stood at this table during our interfaith service and declared with tears in her eyes, I am ready, along with my co-religionists, to wear the Star of David and declare myself a Jew in the face of anti-Semitism. Being Jewish means looking at the world around us and facing it with a sober and unflinching commitment to a brighter future for all people. The prophet Micah imagined a world where swords would be turned into plowshares, where all might sit under vine and fig tree unafraid. This bima is here to hold up that vision and with unflinching respect for each of us and our political diversity to provoke all of us into taking action to make the new year one that is worthy of the words tova umituka good and sweet. L'shana tova umituka to a good and sweet new year and gamar tov an easy fast, a fast that leads all to hunger for justice.